0: Good to see you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, uh, we want to welcome you as our honored guest. Uh, We would love it if if you would take out one of those cards that you see in front of you if you are visiting and fill that out. Uh, There are two little black boxes there in the back of the auditorium. That's just so we can get to know you and you can get to know us and we can express our appreciation for you being here with us uh, this morning. Super pumped about VBS happening tonight. I hope everybody's going to be here. Um, If this doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what will. Uh, so hopefully everybody's going to come out and, uh, and join us for VBS. And thank you so much um, to all those who, I know a lot of people have been working really hard uh, this past week to, to get everything together. Uh, so just thank you for all those who are, who are involved in that. Uh, remember that our theme this year and in our, in our, uh, our preaching theme in, in the, on Sunday mornings in 2023 is Fortify the Family uh, and we've, we've looked at so far how the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, it paints a vivid picture of what God's family, who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, looks like. That family is one who invests in each other, who supports each other, who are accountable to and serve one another. There, there, there are those who are fiercely loyal Uh, to the whole, and live with this desire to seek and maintain unity in the bond of peace. It's when the church becomes this kind of spirit-filled family that we read about in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, a fortified family, do we become a signpost to the rest of the world that points to the greatness and glory of God. And a major aspect of becoming this kind of fortified family that all of us seek to embrace is developing fortified homes. I don't know about you, but that word home, that word home, uh, for for some reason just sparks inside of me a sense of warmth and a sense of comfort. You know, we say things like, uh, there's no place like home. We say things like, I feel at home. I want to go home. Or home is where the heart is. Home is the place that we're drawn toward. It's the people that we long for. Home is an idea that's naturally placed at the center of the human heart and stirs our affections like not too many things can. Home is God's Idea. And it's a good idea because He is good. However, home is an idea that's ferociously under attack today. To be a fortified family of faith who together points people to the greatness and glory of Jesus, we need to embrace God's idea and definition of the home. Protect it, fight for it, and nurture it. So today we're beginning a series entitled Fortify the Home, and and I pray that God will use his word that we open up. Uh, this morning and for the next several weeks uh, to, to develop in us a desire, a deeper longing uh, to fortify our, our homes within our church body here, um, and, and, then, and that we will embrace God's way, God's definition of the home even more so, so that the world, everyone outside of Jesus, will see him through us by the lives that we live. Live. So, what do I mean when I say home? Let's define our terms here for a moment. People have all kinds of ideas about what home is, about what home looks like. But what's God's idea? Because that's what matters. Take out your Bible with me and turn to the book of Genesis, as was read for us a moment ago. The book of Genesis, let's start in verse uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We see God's idea and definition of the home laid out for us in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Let's read verses 26 and 27 together. The text reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So we see here in the very first chapter of the Bible, an order is being established, a structure is being laid out for us. A design is being ordained by the God of the universe. God says here, let us make man. The Hebrew word here rendered man is adam, uh, and, and it can be used to refer to man as opposed to Woman, But in this specific context, it's used in more of a collective sense, referring to mankind or humankind. Uh, And uh, to to back that up and to prove that, go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, and you'll see another instance uh, of that used there. So God says, let us make humankind, mankind, encompassing both male and female— In our image, after our likeness, both male and female, the Bible declares, mankind are created in the image of God. Now, but but what does that mean? What does it mean that male and female are created in the image of God? Now, there are many nuances uh, that altogether help us understand what it means specifically, to be created in the image of God. But one of the major nuances, and what I want to hit on for this lesson, is this. What it means to be made in the image of God means representative rule or leadership. Representative rule or leadership. In the ancient world, kings would place their own image in the form of a statue or, or other kinds of objects in parts of their empire and this, this, was, this practice was to signify that that king ruled that territory Uh, Even even though that king couldn't be physically present within that territory, when his image was there, it was a declaration to all around that that king ruled that region. And the king himself in the ancient Near East would also be considered by his subjects to be the image of the gods in pagan cultures, meaning that when you see this king, when you see him, then you're looking at a clear picture of the gods. You're looking at what the gods are like. So, a part of what it means for mankind, humankind, to be created in the image of God is that they are God's Representatives in the world who exercise his reign and his rule over all creation. The design is that when you look at a human being, male and female, when you look at a human, you're looking at a picture, you're looking at an image of what God is like and the authority that he possesses. Now, that idea is very important in understanding the biblical story in its entirety, and it's something we're going to come back to in a moment. But for now, uh, take out your Bible and look at verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 28 of chapter 1 says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's design for His image-bearing humankind, mankind creatures, are to create more humans. As the text says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, it, a part of our image-bearing nature, the text says, is to have babies who have babies who have babies who have babies so that God's good world may be full of his human creatures that reflect his rule and his authority and his glory in all the world and who live in harmony with the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the field. So the structure The order that God creates is man and woman as His special image-bearing representatives who are to advance this God-created human project by raising children together and filling the earth with God's glory, with God's image-bearing representatives who reflect the beauty of God and the glory of God of God. Now, when we get to chapter 2, I want to open up our Bibles and turn to chapter 2 and look at verse 20. When we get to chapter 2, we see this order, uh, this design, we see it become even more clear in chapter 2. Look with me in verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, so we see here the man named Adam exercising his God-given authority. How does he exercise that? He exercises that by giving names to the animals, uh, and, um, and 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 that's and that's what he does. But uh, he that's until he sees and he feels that there's 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 a problem. There, there's not something that there, there's something that's not quite right here. Like the animals, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, I mean they're great and all, uh, but they're not compatible to him in a way that his heart needs. And Adam recognizes that. He recognizes that that there's a void um, that needs to be filled. Among all the created beings, not one of them serves as an adequate companion for him and his needs. And God recognizes this, too. And that's why it says what it says next in verse 21 of chapter 2. Verse 21 through 23 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, Adam's reaction here to the creation of woman isn't, Oh, wow, but whoa, (laughs) look at this uh, woman that God has created for me. He says, at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He immediately in the text, and we see this, he immediately recognizes that she was made for him, that the two fit together like a hand in a glove. And notice what Adam says. Notice what he does. He says, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The man, what does he do here? He names woman. He names the woman like he names the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens. And that signifies that he possesses authority over her. However, this kind of authority that the man possesses over the woman, it's not intended to be understood in the text as domination or in the sense of value, but rather man's authority over woman in this context is to be understood in the sense of leadership, of headship that's built upon sacrificial love, the same kind of generous love that God has already displayed throughout His creating the world in the creation story. God doesn't Create woman from the feet of man so so that she may be a slave, but from his side. God creates woman from the side of man so that the two may walk together side by side in a relationship that's built upon love, self-sacrificial love and respect, submissive Respect, And that's what's being communicated within the text here in the very beginning. Man and woman carry the same value as God's image-bearing representatives, but carry different roles in their relationship with one another. And God titles this design in the next verse, in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2, It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God's idea of the home is one man, as we say in Kids Sing every Sunday night, is one man and one woman in a marriage relationship that's built upon sacrificial love and submissive respect Together, raise up children to reflect God's glory in all creation. That's God's idea of the home, and it's a good idea. It's a beautiful idea. It's a beautiful design. It's a precious design. And we as God's people, as God's fortified family of faith, as a kingdom of priests that, uh, that, that show God to the world, we need to see the home that way. We need to view the home as beautiful and as precious as God himself does. Here's just a few reasons why. why we need to see God's definition and God's idea of the home as uh, as incredibly important. Number one is that the home is a major aspect, and we see this in the Genesis story, the home is a major aspect of our image-bearing nature. God's idea of the home, it's woven into the very fabric of what it means to be human, And we can see that by looking at the creation account and the theological implications that are encompassed within this story. The very center of many of our longings, our desires, and our needs is the home. When you look at human nature, at, at the things that we search for in life, at the things we long for, the things that we inherently need to be healthy, to be satisfied, many of those things reach their climax in God's definition of the home. Now, please don't misunderstand me here, uh, don't, uh, that, that that doesn't mean for one second that singleness isn't a legitimate option in the eyes of God because Paul specifically clearly says that it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and it doesn't mean that if you're in a situation that doesn't reflect God's idea of the home that you're some kind of second class person that's not what that means at all you don't have to be married or or to have children to be God's glorious representative and find overwhelming satisfaction in Him. However, there's just something about God's design of the home that the human heart is drawn toward and finds satisfaction in, and it's vastly important that we uphold that idea and that definition. Now, I want to give you another reason why God's idea is extremely important. Number two, healthy homes are the foundation of a healthy society. Healthy homes are the foundation of a healthy society. A common strategy to improve societal welfare today and combat social justice issues is to invest in these large-scale government solutions and programs. But I would argue, because I think this is biblically accurate and statistically accurate, that government is not the best agent to raise up a healthy society. Healthy, God-designed homes are the best mechanism for improving societal welfare and accomplishing justice and fairness for all that live within it. Children that are taught to love God with all of their heart and fear Him with all of their soul and to love their neighbor as themselves, which are modeled by two God-fearing parents, That's the best mechanism for lifting people out of persistent poverty. It's the best mechanism for keeping people safe from sexual abuse and violence. It's the best mechanism for combating education failure. It's the best mechanism for fighting crime in the community. And it's the best mechanism for keeping minority groups safe from discrimination. God's idea of the home is extremely important. And we as God's church need to uphold that idea. And then lastly here, why God's idea is so important. Homes are the building blocks of the church's mission and structure. Homes are essentially training and sending agencies that raise up godly servants to be like Jesus and reflect His glory in all the world the home it's god's idea and it's a good idea because he is good and he created a design that brings about that's intended to bring about human flourishing and satisfaction however when that design is subverted and humans choose to create their own design and follow their own pattern to reach satisfaction and fulfillment the effects are devastating. And that's what's being communicated in the very beginning in the Genesis account that Jeremy alluded for us in a, a moment ago. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but so far, uh, we've been in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and, and we've seen God's original design for the home and family, Uh, but I want to draw your attention now to what happens in Genesis chapter 3, where God's design is devalued. It's undermined, and it's replaced by something else. Look with me in verse 1. Now the serpent, the text says, was more crafty than any other And focus with me on this phrase, beast of the field. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had mazed. Now, pause here for a second. We're going to pick back up here in a moment. But the serpent in the text, is identified as a beast of the field. Now, remember that we talked about earlier that mankind was created in the image of God who possesses the authority to rule over the beasts of the field and the fish in the sea and the birds in the heavens. Man has this God-designed authority over creation over the world. So God's design is for man and woman to have dominion over this creature, over this serpent, a beast of the field. But notice what happens next in verse 2. He, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes, they'll be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, I want you to see this with me because it's very important. The first three chapters of Genesis contain a multitude of weighty theological truths that are echoed all throughout the biblical story, and we're witnessing before our very eyes one of those truths. God created man. God created man and woman to be his image-bearing representatives who are tasked with ruling over the creation. Man to be the head over his wife and both of them to be in authority over the birds of the heavens, fish of the sea and beast of the field. That's God's design. That's God's order. Man woman in a relationship, same value, but a structure to their relationship, man, woman, creation. Man, woman, creation. That's the order. That's the design that we see within the text. Now, notice with me, in the fall narrative here, we see, what we see is a complete reversal of that original design that God created in the beginning. The serpent, identified in the text as a beast of the field, he comes to the woman... And he tempts her. Thereby, what he's doing is he's usurping authority over her. The woman, what does she do? She in turn comes to the man and tempts him to do the same thing that she gave in in, into. Thereby, usurping authority over him. Do you see this? Do you do you see this in the in the text? Do you see what's going on here? God creates an order. God creates a structure, man, woman, creation. But that order in Genesis chapter 3, it's flipped. It's reversed. It's now beast, woman, man. The order is flipped. The order is distorted. It's subverted. And if you're a Bible student, you know that the effects of that are absolutely catastrophic. Sin is unleashed because of that in God's good world and brings about, what does it bring about? Violence. It brings about oppression, abuse, corruption, and death, both to mankind and to the creation. Why? Why? Because God's design his order that's good and beautiful and precious and is intended to bring about the greatest satisfaction that, 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 that you could dream of, that order, that design is devalued. It's undermined and it's replaced with something else. What is this text teaching us? What is this telling us? This text is telling us that when God's design for the home is subverted, the effects are devastating. When daddies don't act like daddies but become self-indulgent carnal people... Their little girls are set up to crave destructive kind of attention from a man in the future, and their little boys, more so than not, grow up to be just like they are. When mommies don't act like mommies, it sets up their children for failure. When distortions to God's design like homosexuality and transgenderism replace God's definition and become normalized, God hands them over to the inevitable outcome of their evil and destructive ways. Now again, please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that there isn't hope and there isn't healing for families and homes that are broken, or for children who are hurt by the choices of others. But all of us need to recognize, and that's what I really want to hit home in this lesson, all of us need to recognize the truth that's being communicated, the severity that's being communicated within this story in the very beginning of the Bible. When God's design, His good design, His precious design, His wonderful design, when it's devalued, When it's undermined and it's replaced with something else, the effects are devastating. And today, I don't even have to give examples, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Today, there is a massive attack, a massive attack on God's idea of the home, his design for the home. So, I forgot to click the screen, sorry about that, that was all what that was about. Um, so, what are we to do? What are we to do to be a fortified family of God's people? It requires what we, we and we need to be serious about this. It requires us to fortify our homes. Uh, look with me in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people that see the home as a God designed institution that's worth protecting with the utmost diligence, with the utmost commitment, like, like God commands the Israelites here. We need to be a people who diligently teach our children to fear God and to keep His commandments. We need to see the home as a God-designed institution uh, that's not only worth protecting but worth nurturing uh, by, by all of us, those who are parents or, or, or not. Uh, the, the the entire church family is to see the home as as a special place that that is that that's worth um, investing in and 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 nurturing. We need to talk to our children about these things when we sit in our house, when we when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we first get out of bed in the morning. And we we need to see God's design of the home as also as a potent weapon. When we adhere to it, when we follow it, when we embrace it, we need to see God's idea, God's definition of the home as a weapon that fights against the schemes of of the devil and, and is a means of God's glorification in the world. As I look at our lives and see us following the pattern, because the home is God's idea, it's a good idea, because he is good. So, o- over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking more uh, about God's idea of the home, God's definition. Uh, but, and I know some of you might be thinking of this, and, and I just want to say this on the front end of this, of this series, um, and as we close out this morning, that not one of us today, not one of us in this hearing this message today, perfectly model. God's design of the home. Your home, your home might be struggling. Your home might be wavering. There may be some things that you really need to work on. Your home might even be broken, and, 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 and it grieves you to your heart. And, and, I want, and I want you to know that these lessons that we're going uh, to be talking about, they're going to be laced with God's grace and offer hope and healing for even those that are broken. Because God always gives hope to those who humble themselves and who embrace a spirit that is poor and meek and lowly and recognizes that He is Lord and draws near to Him to find comfort and strength and healing. This morning, uh, if you're subject to the invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing.